And welcome to the Newland Christian Church um, Sunday sermon for Father's Day. First, we want to say Happy Father's Day to all of those who um, are fathers or are celebrating today. Just in the simple fact that I believe that, as we'll see in part of this conversation today, the Lord uh, calls us to be um, good Christian fathers in our homes. I myself am not a father, but I had a father who was, and I coach, uh, and I have coached for many years, and I have always tried to take that mindset as if those were my own children, and some of them have turned into being similar like my own children. I have nephews, uh, so, you know, I, I recognize that today, but I just encourage you today to give God the glory for the fathers in your life and to thank him for good godly fathers that are leading our families. Now today's sermon. So we begin today, Genesis chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the story of Lot. Now this is not your typical message you hear on a Father's Day, especially in the church, but I've I vowed at the beginning of the year um, when the Lord led me into this direction of finding out who we are, studying the word of God and studying into these things, I felt that he was calling me to not give in to these holidays, so to speak, um, but preach the truth and preach it out of his word where we are and recognize that it has been amazing the direction he has led us. Um, we've talked about mothers. We have talked about the fathers. And we're going to talk about fathers today. And it's not even an intentional thing. It was Genesis 19. That was the next part of our message. We're actually going to be in it for the next couple of weeks. But I want to start by looking into the psalm. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he prospers or does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now let's look at. Chapter 19, Lot did not follow the precepts of this psalm. First, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom. Then he sat in the gates of Sodom. The closer Lot moved to the center of Sodom, the more Sodom moved to the center of Lot. Now, even though Lot was distressed by the sin around him, it made his life totally fruitless. Even so, he was a member of the covenant family and God rescued him. God had made a promise. It's a testament both to the grace of God, how he rescues us from his wrath and the results of steeping ourselves in the world as a believer. Now, the first couple of verses here, we see a number of things. And as we look in this, I'm just going to go verse by verse this morning. But I want us to really recognize some of what's happening here. In Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. It says two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. 
When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet, spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. Now, we know who these two are. We know who they seem to be. And uh, one of the things that I find interesting is that it tells us straight away the two angels. So we know that these are the two that were with the Lord in the previous chapter. They had gone ahead to scope out Sodom. He's sitting at the gate of Sodom and he's become an important part of the city, at least as he thinks. He does not react in the same way as Abraham. He said, sirs, differently than Abraham, who said, Lord, he knew they were new in town. He offered them hospitality, but it doesn't appear that in the greeting that he gives, that he necessarily understands who they might be. In fact, what Lot is doing here um, seems to be more of a warning just in the simple fact that passers-by may not have a welcome place. This does testify, though, to the uh, person Lot is in some ways. But we'll, you know, like I said, we'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But I'm just quickly breaking this down. But this was hospitality. Lot's at the gate. Two men come and, and Lot says, come and uh, slumber at my house. Uh, I, the the two reply and say, no, we would rather spend it in the square. Now, in verse three, Lot then says, it says, but he urged them strongly that they followed him or so strongly that they followed him and went to his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them and they ate. He urged them strongly. You do not want to stay in the square. Lot knew what would happen. Now, why didn't any of that sink into Lot is that maybe he was living in the wrong town? Perhaps the angels wanted him to be thinking about that. There wasn't any danger to them, of course, you know, being who they were. They were not going to be taken advantage of in that way. But Lot urges them strongly and says, come and be with me. So it says Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the, or excuse me, verse four, before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out so we can have sex with them. Literal words that are right there and heartbreaking words, to be honest. But word must have spread. Someone saw these two men enter the city. Someone saw them go to Lot's home. And the men of the city have now approached Lot. And they said, send out these men. Send them out so that we can have our way with them. This is how lust works. Giving in the sensuality and immorality, it's never enough. There were many people in that city. They could have had anyone they wanted to have their way with, but new meat was in town. Two men that they had never seen before. So let's establish our way. Now, there's a couple things we can see here, but I want to uh, look first. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, it says, so I tell you this and insist on it, the Lord in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. 
in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, this was homosexual rape. There's no two ways about it. They want to show that. They want to do that. Now, was it lust for the men as in they were in lust for the men? Or was it the men of Sodom wanted to establish their dominance? Now, that is something that took place in those times was that this would have been more of a, we want to show them we're in charge here. We want to show them that we are in charge here. Now, unfortunately, some people have lightened this and explained it away as saying, well, they just wanted to see their travel papers, their passport. They wanted them to uh, show them that they belonged. Others have maybe said that God judged them for a lack of hospitality, but read it and understand what it says. This culture was so caught up in debauchery. This culture was so filthy in a spiritual sense that two men who came into the area were in danger of being raped by the men of the city. And look to what it says, both young and old, this society had become so rank that even young people were infected. The entire society was behind what was taking place. We must be careful what we teach our youth. The youth learn from the elders. If we're living in a sin and we want our youth to see it differently, they're not going to see it differently. Why do you think the world is what it is today? They've seen their parents live in sinful ways. It's it's why you hear that, you know, a, a child raised in a broken home is most more likely to enter a broken home. But verse six, Lot goes out to them at the entrance and shuts the door behind him and says, do not do this evil. My brothers, that's verses six and seven. Verse six, at least he was no coward. Verse seven and eight, I'm going to read verse eight now for you. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under the protection of my roof. So here's the interesting story that's taking place here. Lot, at least he's no coward. He stands up to the men and he says, look, I'm not letting you have your way with these men. These are good men. They, they are not like you. So Lot does seemingly have a sense of not just hospitality, but of right and wrong. To an extent, because this man that was no coward immediately offers his virgin daughters as reparation. He says, I'm not going to send the men out, but here are my two daughters. I'll give you my daughters. Now, these are the rapists. Imagine Abraham saying this. But, I mean, he did tell them that Sarah was his sister, right? But something has happened to Lot's character. Not to really give Lot any credit, but in that society, women were little better than property. So culturally, he could have gotten away with it, but spiritually and morally, it was cruel and unbelievable that Lot offered his daughters, his own flesh and blood, 
in the place of these two men. There's always a danger when we use the norms of our society to gauge our behavior. Lot figured that the male guests were more important than his female daughters. And that's just the way it was done in that culture, right? Look, if we live in a trash dump, all we have to work with is trash. If we live in a cesspool, all we work with is poop. No better way to say that. We work with feces if we live in a cesspool. Folks, this is why we look to God's word. This is why we must look to God's word. The ultimate standard for our behavior is the word of God. It is plain and simple, folks. Just because society says things like abortion are legal does not make murdering an innocent unborn child right. Just because society says that homosexuality is acceptable, it is not right according to the word of God. And we must stand on the truth of his word. We must understand that today. Verse 9, we then see this continuation of the story. They say, get out of the way. This one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. And they put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. Now, they never really saw Lot as part of their culture. Sometimes the world knows we don't belong there. And they leave us alone. They know we don't belong, belong in the places that we are. And they leave us be. Lot had never experienced this side of this. But now they're saying because he's defending. They're going to do worse to him. And they go to break down the door of Lot's home. And it says that in that moment. The angels reach out and they grab Lot. Bring him in and then they make it. As if the door is shut. Then they strike the men with blindness at the entrance of the home. And they were unable to find the entrance. Now, this was maybe a selective blindness. Maybe the door disappears in the wall. Whatever the case might be, they no longer find a way to enter in. Now, there's something crazy about this whole story. One, it does seem that the men of the city knew Lot didn't belong there and never wanted to violate what God might do to them. The world knows us for whose we are. If we are living any sort of righteousness, the world will know us. If we have family who is righteous, they will know us. The reputation precedes itself, right? They knew that Lot wasn't one of them. And therefore, it seems that until this moment, they had just kind of let him be, knowing he was out of place, knowing he was where he shouldn't be. Now, if we get to verse 12, one of the things that we then see here, and again, like I said, I'm just breaking this down verse by verse. Next week, we're going to go more in depth into the conversation, but there's a lot we can see as fathers or as men in this story. Verse 12, then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, 
your sons and daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of this place for we are about to destroy the place because the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters, said, get up. He is, he said, get out of this place. But the Lord is about to destroy the city. And the sons-in-law thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. And we'll get to verse 16 in a moment, but the angels knew what was going to happen. In a sense, it's like this plea to share the gospel. If you know anyone, tell them there is a way of escape. Perhaps it was a way to show Lot that you can't redeem the ungodly simply by associating with them. Whatever the case might be, it's the other way around. If we are out associating with the ungodly, if we are creeping ever so closely to the center of Sodom, Sodom is going to be creeping ever so closely to the center of our lives. Folks, what we've got to understand today is that no matter how well-intentioned our move might be, if we are not living according to the word of God and we are surrounding ourselves with the unrighteousness of the world, then in that unrighteousness, we are going to find ourselves living, moving, and breathing. God reaches in to that unrighteousness and pulls Lot out and says, go, get away from this. It's about to become history. Unrighteousness makes the righteous dirty. And even the sons-in-law of the daughters, the ones that were to be betrothed, they were to betrothed to be married to the daughters of Lot. They treat it as a joke. As do many of the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we see in this world is devastation. Now, the next two verses tell us that Lot hesitated. He was not aware of the judgment of God. He didn't take it seriously. The same attitude was happening in him. It really shows how far maybe he has fallen. Because he knew who God was. He moved with Abraham because of God. But in God's compassion, the angels grab and drag Lot out for Abraham's sake. For Abraham's sake, he does this. It says he hesitated, but because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere on the plane. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now, what we see is, I guess, Lot figures that he would be safer in a town. So in verse 18, he begins to barter with them and say, look, can we run to this city over here? Can we run to the town? Can we go and flee to this small place? He wants to flee to Zoar. The Zoharites never knew how God saved them, thanks to Lot. But Lot asked to go to a city. Lot had become familiar with the city life. Lot had become familiar with this life that wasn't this wayward traveler. He wanted to go into the city, so he wanted to be safe. They grant him that. And what we know is that Sodom and Gomorrah are then destroyed. They are destroyed 
And so they give him time to run, but we know his wife looks back. It tells us in verse 23, the sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. What destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Archaeologists don't know. They have found what they believe to be the ruins. Babadura thought to be Sodom and Numeria thought to be Gomorrah. But both places were destroyed at the same time by an enormous uh, disturbance, whatever it might be. There's evidence of subterranean deposits of a petroleum-based substance called bitumen. Uh, it's similar to asphalt in the region of that's south of the Dead Sea. Uh, such material normally contains a high percentage of sulfur, and it's been uh, a geologist, uh, Frederick Clapp, said that the pressure from an earthquake could have caused the bitumen deposits to be forced out of the earth through a fault line. As it gushed out of the earth, it could have been ignited by a spark of surface fire. It would then fail or fall to the earth as a burning, fiery mass. But this was just a theory. Um, there's a number of things that we, we know that it burnt like a furnace. We know that Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the Bible records what Abraham saw in verse 28. It says he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw dense smoke rising from the land, a smoke like from a furnace. Dense smoke suggests smoke from a petroleum based fire. Smoke rising from the smoke of a furnace indicates a forced draft, such as would be expected from those deposits of bitumen being forced out from under the ground. But two, two archaeologists also said that it may be that an earthquake happened and the ground loosened and the city was swallowed by the earth. And then some suggest volcanic destruction. There's not really any way we can look at it, but what we see in verse 26 is that Lot's wife turns and looks. She turned with a longing or even perhaps begin to go back. She did decided she didn't really want to go this way of redemption and she died because of it. The Hebrew word can also mean powder. So if she was making her way back to Sodom, the intense heat of the fire or the volcanic activity and ash could have just destroyed her. It could have just obliterated her. But we see that Abraham was maybe, he was west of the Dead Sea in Hebron, maybe 10 to 15 miles to the sea, and he saw the smoke. So what did he think when he looked over the plain? Did he worry about Lot? Did he wonder so Lot didn't have nine righteous friends? Lot was part of the covenant, though. Even though he didn't live like it, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the city. And God remembered the intercession that Abraham had made on Lot's behalf and answered Abraham's prayer. Folks, if you know someone who has turned their back on the Lord, pray that the Lord can redeem them. He will at least meet them with the opportunity to turn. But recognize this. Now, what we see in the next few verses is that maybe the girls, Lot's daughters, 
they think that the whole world's been destroyed and they want to continue with the family. They think they've got to replenish the world, whatever. What good would it have done to have babies if there was no one for them to marry? There's flawed logic all in what's happening with them. But what could they have given to make their father that drunk? But what we see is the same story as Noah. How much did Sodom really seep into Lot's character, but also into the character of his daughters? It's really a warning for us who fool around with the world. Those who try also to serve the Lord, but you cannot have two masters. You will hate one and love the other. Lot became totally unfruitful for God and very fruitful for the world. It was rotten fruit, folks. What we see in the story here is it was rotten fruit. And then we get this origin of these two societies, two races that come from an unholy union, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they hated Israel. God forbid the Israelis from wiping them out because they were relatives. But in Deuteronomy 23, 3, he forbid any Ammonite or Moabite from entering the assembly of God, even to the 10th generation. Even as Lot lived on the edge of the covenant, so did his descendants. There's a real wisdom in understanding judgment. Look, judgment is not pleasant, but it is certainly and is the backbone of everything God says. In 2 Peter 2, 1 through 10, we could look at the example. In Exodus uh, 34, 5 through 9. God is literally saying, I'm good and just. I will not allow the unrighteousness to go on. If God doesn't judge evil, then he himself is evil. Recognize that today. Judgment is not this secret to humanity, but it still surprises the unsaved. Luke 23 tells us of that. But there are real risks to marginal faith. Understand, Ruth was from Moab. And she came into the lineage of Jesus, who are the descendants of Lot. Yes, Ruth, a Moabite, is in the lineage of Jesus. So God can redeem even the most awful of mistakes. But it's a picture of what is to come. It is a picture of this Christian walk and what it holds for us. I told you 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read 6 through 9 as we close. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men or that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Understand that today. What we see in Lot might be a story we all need. Are we living a marginal faith? Are you living a faith that is marginal to the kingdom of God? Are you standing on the edge, trying to live a double life, trying to serve two masters? Well, if you're a father, think about your father. A father who's doing that has a direct impact on his children. A father who is living a marginal, holy, a marginal righteous life, one who is trying to live for the Lord, but also stuck in the world, living in the city, 
the children are going to go the way of the city. Folks in this world today, we cannot be marginal. The reminder in the letter, the revelation letter, the letter the, to the church of Laodicea is because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, the marginal are still those who ride the margins of the Christian faith are still outside of the faith, regardless of what they think, regardless of where they stand, regardless of the things that they think are acceptable and approvable. Those things declare their unrighteousness. So today I ask you, are you living in that marginal place? Are you riding a fence? I encourage you to get down on the righteous side of the fence. And lay it before the Lord today. Let's close in prayer. This service today. Father God we thank you Lord for the opportunity once again. To know you to make you known and to come before your throne. Lord go with us lead us and direct us today. Show us your glory in mighty ways. But Lord help us to step off of that fence. To stop living a dual life. To stop living in righteousness and unrighteousness alike. Lord help us to be what you've called us to be. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to know you and to make you known. Go with us now. Lead us and protect us. Lord, thank you for counting the prayers of our families, the love, that concern as righteousness to redeem us from a situation to give us that one more chance. Just as you did Lot. Father, I pray that we would reflect on these things today. As we go forth from this place, Lord, we praise you. We give you the glory today. We pray that you would show us your glory in a mighty way. Amen. And thank you for joining us for our services here on the Newland Christian Church daily devotional podcast this is our weekend service you're welcome to join us we have sunday school at 10 a.m service at 11 on sunday mornings sunday evenings we meet at 6 p.m and on wednesday evenings we meet at 6 p.m every service is also streamed live on our facebook page you can get more information about newland christian church at newlandchristianchurch.com or facebook.com slash newland christian church hope you have a blessed day in the lord